This time I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. If you've been here in some of the past weeks, you know that I've been finishing up treatments, chemotherapy for my cancer, and so I've only been able to preach once every three weeks. Praise God, I believe that I believe that this is the first time that I have preached two weeks consecutively since I left and finished my ministry in August or September of 2020. I think it's been that long between my deployment and then um, being sick and intermittent and not being able to preach. So praise God for that. And so I have been preaching some of it, reflecting on my own experiences, the life of Hezekiah. And so we, we almost six weeks ago now talked about him celebrating the Passover, one of the high points of the Old Testament and one of his greatest achievements. And then the last time three weeks ago about how he was a fallible and flawed hero and had his own weaknesses and, and pride and where he turned away from the Lord. And this passage shows us today why we need Easter. And so I have in the bulletin chapters 38 and 39. We won't read 39. I am going to read all of 38, the first part to give us a reference of what's happening. And then from 10 on is is a a song that Hezekiah sings in response to his near-death experience. And so I want you to look especially at that if you're looking in your Bibles your pew Bibles at page 598, it's, it's in the, the text that's indented to show its poetry. And just to see what, is it, what was his experience of near death and what does that look like? By the way, there's the word Sheol. That means the grave or the shadowy realm of the dead. That's, that's how they talked about it back then. So let us give careful attention to God's word. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend the city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial of the 10 steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. 
be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you, Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living he thanks you as I do today. The father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house? Of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, as we come to a passage that is different from a different time, a different context and culture, we we humble ourselves before your world. We ask that your spirit would make us hungry to hear that by entering into the world of Hezekiah and then seeing the hope of Jesus, the resurrection would be even more precious to us. Give us your strength to understand and to know and to apply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, I had a friend named Charles. He was a couple years older than me. He attended my church and also he was in my homeschooling group, a couple grades ahead of me. So he went on to college before and then quickly went to, decided to go and join the army. Charles was the kind of guy, parents, you would like your girl to bring home. He, he was outgoing, he was uh, thoughtful, he was tall and handsome, he was an athlete, he was a leader. When he joined the, the army, he enlisted, he became a sergeant in almost record time. He was part of the airborne soldiers, he jumped out of airplanes. Uh, he, he loved Jesus, he was an influencer for Christ, it's just the way he was. Charles also was a hiker and he was very avid, and, and so he went hiking with his older sister. He had an older sister and two younger sisters, and uh, when he was out on the Sierra Nevada range, um, he was, went up to uh, an area, a rock cliff. He's very experienced, looked very safe, but it was false rock, and it gave way. He fell 20 feet, broke his neck. Charles' body lived a few minutes more. He was gone, just like that. His family was devastated. His father is still uh, an elder at my church where I grew up. His mother, um, a wonderful woman who who loves Jesus. His his sisters, of course, their world was rocked. I I remember hearing the call and then calling some of my friends. We had graduated from, from our homeschooling classes, and I remember us going to his funeral. I had just gotten out of my skill training, so I was wearing my greens to honor him. And some of the, the, the girls that I knew, they were wearing black. And then we went to the gravesite. It was appropriately cloudy, and, and it started to pour. And I remember the soldiers that came up from North Carolina, all of these elite airborne troops in, in their crisp uniforms. They stood along with me in the rain, no umbrellas. No. The reports of the blanks as they fired the rifles in honor. As they handed, Charles, handed his sisters, puppy-eyed with tears under the tent, his flag, just like that. 
Charles was gone. We don't talk much about death today. It's compartmentalized, often sanitized. Dead bodies are, for sanitary reasons, transferred immediately to the morgue and then cremated or put in the ground. Death is something that we rarely reflect on as a society, and yet you will experience its grim and unbending reality. Many of you have. The death of a loved one, a friend, or perhaps the possibility of your own death, a near-death experience. We don't talk about it as, as a culture, and yet to ignore death is to ignore one of the most constant facts of all life. It's to stick your head in the sand concerning the fundamental tragedy of human existence. Now, scripture speaks, on the contrary, a lot about death. Many today uh, see the Bible as unnecessary or irrelevant. You know, it was, it was a helpful stepping stone to get to civilization where we are, but you know, now that we're here, we can just jettison that now that we've arrived. And, and looking around in the days of social media and space travel and genetic engineering and nanotechnology, it might be easiest to believe that the Bible no longer matters. This is so long ago, Hezekiah was digging wells and walls for his city defense. But, you know, none of these things today that we have speaks about or helps you make sense of your coming death. And in a culture that ignores death, Scripture is more relevant than ever that is possible. I've been preaching on the life off and on of King Hezekiah, and this passage today can help you appreciate in a new light the beauty of Easter. I'd like us to start by looking at the world according to Hezekiah, and then we'll see the hope that Jesus brings. Hezekiah, you see, is helpful because his story causes you to grapple with death. Right? Hezekiah, in, in the prime of his life, he's arrived as this king, everything is going well, and he gets this announcement from God through the prophet Isaiah, you're going to die, and soon. As we read, he calls out to the Lord, the Lord grants him 15 more years of life, and then he composes this song that Isaiah records. And you would expect it to be upbeat and full of joy, right? I've been healed, praise God. And there is some of that. But much of this song, if you read, it's, it's, it's sober. It's a somber reflection on death. One commentator says, this is more like a lament than a song of praise. Kids, what's a lament? A lament is, is a cry of anguish where it, you are sad about something that is wrong in the world. It's not right. So let's look at this, this song starting at verse 2. What does Hezekiah notice about death? Well, in the first couple of verses, he sees how abrupt and final it is. He says, I, in the middle of my days, I must depart. The idea is here, I, I'm in the prime of my life. Right? Everything is going well. I've, I, I, I had kids, probably about to have grandkids. They had kids young back then. He was his late 30s. He's, he's a king. He's established his reign. The Lord's blessed it. He's, he's held this, this wonderful Passover. And now I must spend my years in the realm of the dead, in the realm of Sheol. Another way to translate that second part is I've been robbed of the rest of my life. And, and, and the result, verse 11, is that I won't see the Lord. I'm going to be cut off from the land of the living, cut off from God and cut off from people. Verse 12, my generation or perhaps my span of life is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. We don't use tents as much anymore, but back then, tents could be a semi-permanent dwelling. Many people lived in tents, and it would be there for a long time, and it was there as a source of shelter and security, and, and you'd see it every day, and then one day you'd move. Uproot it, fold it away, put it away, it's done. Temporary. 
Where he says, my, my life is like, uh, like a weaver. I've rolled up my life. You know, most of our clothes are now in, uh, done in textiles factories. But back then, people wove their fabric in their home. And you would see a fabric slowly take shape and it would get bigger and bigger. And it was on the loom for a long time. It looked like it was going to be there forever. And one day they say, oh, that's enough. Cut it off. And it's gone. A commentator talking about this this idea of the loom and death removes in a moment what seems like it's permanent. And, and that's what death is like. One moment a person is here on earth, they're, they're alive, they're well, they're full of personality, and the next minute they're gone. Their face, which was so full of life and laughter, is now a stone mask. Right? Their body, which, which communicated their will and their love and, and went this way and that, is, is now a cold shell, which we have to quickly put into the ground. And they're gone for good. And everything they were is gone. It's now cut off from us. There's a poem from World War I. It was very popular during the time. The first verse has always gripped me. World War I was the first a lot of modern weaponry with still tactics. Soldiers just rushing, machine guns and lots of gas. And there was just mass casualties. Soldiers were buried in these, in these graves. And so there was a surgeon who saw the rows of crosses in Belgium. And in Flanders, and he writes a poem called In Flanders Fields. I'll just read the first verse talking about death. In Flanders Fields, the poppies grow between the crosses, row and row, that mark our place while in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly, unheard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved. And we're loved. But now we lie in Flanders fields. Death is that constant reality, whether it was World War I, Hezekiah, we saw it in, in John, where, where Jesus comes to, to Martha and talks about him being dead already. And it's the same for you. And it's almost as if Hezekiah felt the icy fingers of death brush over him in his near escape, and it chills him, it shakes him. You can see as he goes on how it describes and how it changes his countenance. He, he says, I, I grow in anticipation. I groan in anticipation. He's day to night. Day to night, he talks twice. He's, he's groaning. He's making it through the night. But in, in, in verse 13, I, I calm myself in the morning, but it's no better. God is there. He's breaking my bones like a lion. And so, like an animal, pitifully, I, I moan, hoping for relief. I, I, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary, looking up for looking for relief, and God does not answer. And so he says, I walk downcast with this bitter soul. His encounter with death brings him into depression. And even the happy parts of the song are pretty bleak. He has a fairly grim view of the future. He talks in verse 17 about how God has in love delivered him and, and saved him from sin, but then he still has this... This sadness about the oncoming death in verse 18. For, for Sheol, the grave does not thank you. Death does not praise you. It's the living. It's the living that praise you. I don't want to go there. Now, that may be strange to us. We say, well, yes, death is abrupt and harsh, but we know about Easter. So, so why is Hezekiah so, so bleak? It's, it's very common in the Old Testament for them to talk about this. That the living praise you, not, not the dead. Uh, and the Psalms speak this way as well. And they seem to have a, a, a very cloudy view of the resurrection. It's there. Isaiah talks about it. 
once. You see it when Mary and Martha, Martha talks to Jesus, she says, yes, Lord, I know in the final resurrection, eventually Lazarus will be raised. We, we have some idea of that. But it seems so vague that, that death is big and large in a way that it isn't today. This is what we call progressive revelation, where God shows bit by bit to his people and reveals a little bit more at a time. And back then, death seemed more bleak. It's a mystery why God did it this way. We don't know. But what happens is when you put yourself in Hezekiah's place, it allows you to remember how serious death is. You can think of death and how, how, how final it is. Perhaps it also allows you to be more honest about your own difficulties. Hezekiah, in his lament, he's raw about his bleak brush with death. He's honest about his despair and his depression. Something you and I might need to hear. In a world where you can seem to almost have anything, there's a lot of pain that we hide. There's a lot of hidden pain today. We do it in our society. We, we have a, an older generation that's living out the last of their days with, with a good bit of relative luxury as the world changes and perhaps crumbles around them. Some of them do not, not knowing Christ, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to make of the world. We have a younger generation who truly wants to make a difference in the world, but they have no standard by which to measure progress, and so they're out there aimlessly charging at different things all the while, while experiencing hurt and depression and anxiety, higher rates of suicide and self-harm and self-loathing than perhaps ever before. There's, there's a lot of pain in this world. Even, even as we're well cared for, we have, a, we have a lot of physical blessings and we put a smiley face on it. And perhaps in the church we're even better at hiding this up. You know, you may be embarrassed to mention your difficulties and pain. You might even see it as a mark of failure. Something's wrong with me. The fact that you still grieve for a loved one long dead, the loneliness you face, the disappointment, the depression, the battle with your own sinful heart. Say, good Christians don't talk about our pain and struggles, especially on Easter. It's just not what we do. But you see, the reason why we need the joy of Easter is because this fallen world is so much all of this pain and despair. You know, it is not sinful to express legitimate pain or to mourn loss. When I was diagnosed, I did not say cancer. Yes, that's just what I always wanted. No, there, there, was, there was a lot of struggle there, and there was, there was a lot of wrestling there. Are there sinful ways you can respond to your troubles? Of course. But it is natural and it is normal that you cry and lament the pain of your own life, and for others. In the body of Christ, the church of Jesus, is a place where we should be able to bear each other's pain, to be able to comfort each other and to walk with each other, and yes, point with each other to the hope that we have in Jesus. But the reason that you need the hope of Easter is because of the world, not because you're immune from it. The message of the Bible is not just a few suggestions to a more happy and productive life. It is not... How to have your best life now. Its message is triumph through tragedy. Right? That, that Jesus was a suffering Messiah and all who were connected to him followed his path. As you take up your cross of pain and suffering, whether it's because of the brokenness of this world, your own sin or persecution, you follow that same path, suffering transformed to glory. And this pain is the reason why the Easter message and all of Scripture, when it's properly proclaimed and lived, can never grow old and can never become irrelevant in this world. You know, what other things can you do with your pain? You can try to numb it away with our endless options for entertainment. You can try to medicate it away. 
But even if you can keep it away from you, and that is a very sad and shallow life, one day, death will come. And for that, we have no answer. King, King Hezekiah, the one who was on the top of his little world, grapples with death. He realizes that he's as helpless as everyone else, and it shakes him. Isaiah puts this picture of a good king and, and his, his wrestlings and then his failure in the next chapter where he trusts in alliance with Babylon instead of God at, at the end of this, this troubling section where the punishment will fit the crime. Babylon will come and take Israel into exile and there will be lots of death. He finishes with it on this very somber note. Death and exile. Talk about pain and despair. But that's not God's final answer to his people. What does the next chapter say? What what does chapter 40 begin? It's it's the story of God's bringing the servant for comfort. Verses chapter 40 through the end of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, tell the story of God coming. Just listen to the first five verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God doesn't give them any details there. He does talk about a suffering servant. But he talks some way that God himself will come and act, prepare the way of the Lord, and that a servant will come and save their people. Of course, the servant is Jesus himself. When John announces Jesus coming, he quotes Isaiah 40. He talks about the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. This is the servant. When Jesus begins his ministry, he quotes the words of the servant later in Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus in Luke 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he goes on and he completes that. And as he sits down, everyone's looking at him and he says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. He is saying, I am the servant. I am the one who has come to save you from this death and this exile that God has called about. Of course, then Jesus himself experienced death and he destroyed it. Sometimes it is right to stop and lament like Hezekiah for the pain and the brokenness in this world. But when you do, you don't have to stop there. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you have a hope like no other. I'm just going to read two New Testament passages. I'm going to let them speak for themselves in the context that we've built. We've talked about the pain of this world. Hear the hope that we have. The first is from Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 14 and 17. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The promise of freedom from the bondage of fear and death. And then from the great resurrection passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 
verses 20 through 22 and then 54 through 57. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then talking about the resurrection, verse 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, death is real. We should not ignore it. We should not downplay it, as is often done today. But the good news of Easter is neither should we be enslaved to it. This side of Easter, we don't have to fear it. Death is real and the pain of life, it may be painful, but it's dethroned from ruling over us. Listen to these words from him that we're about to sing. Christ Jesus, God's own son, came down, his people to deliver. Destroying sin, he took the crown. From death's pale brow forever. Stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty form alone it remains. Its sting is lost forever. Hallelujah. Please pray with me. Father, no matter what we are experiencing right now, no matter what we have experienced, no matter what you will bring before us, Father, we praise you for our Lord Jesus. Would we be a community that's, that's honest and open about our pain, that can lament the brokenness of this life, while at the same time praising you for your goodness and rejoicing in the resurrection? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.